0: Well, I had had a really... My problem last week is I I gave a really long intro. (laughs) But that's just sometimes what has to happen as we uh, investigated this plateau uh, of southern Galatia. But the basics really are this, uh, because we're hopping back into the passage, is that we're seeing in Acts, here in Acts 13 and 14, really the fulfillment of what Jesus promised. He says, you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem... Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth and this is really the this is the beginning of the ends of the earth in one sense because now the Gentile mission is being headquartered out of a new location Antioch they were the ones who sent out Paul and Barnabas and so we see in this first we call it the first missionary journey but this first first group of cities that they go to we see the gospel starting to expand and Jesus is doing exactly what he said. I'm going to build my church. And so that's what we're in now. We're going into these parts and we're seeing into these places and seeing what's happening. Again, on this first missionary journey sent out, Paul and Barnabas are sent out by the church in Antioch of Syria, right, to be distinguished from the Antioch of Pisidia, where we were last week. But the first phase of their trip was to Barnabas' homeland, which was Cyprus, Okay, And we have the whole events happening there. They come back to the mainland. They go to Perga. And from Perga, they walk a long, perilous journey of 100 miles, 3,600 feet through uh, just dangerous uh, lands. And they make it to Antioch in Pisidia. This is the southern Galatia region. We call it Turkey today, southern Turkey. And then we saw them. They were, the first town they were in was Antioch. And they were chased out of that town. Right? That's, the, uh, that's Acts chapter 13, uh, most of the chapter, all the way to the end. And then they start they go on another uh, jaunt, a little walkabout, 95 miles. <laughs> Imagine that, 95 miles. And I keep getting the city messed up. Where do we go uh, to the Danish town that's up the road? Solvang. Solvang. That's from here to Solvang on foot. All right? So they go, they walk that far, and, and they end up in Iconium. They, this, this is no small feat, this walking these long distances. Remember, they didn't have a credit card that they could just pop in the local ATM machine. They weren't driving a car that had a trunk that they could just load stuff in. Again, we, we, have, to, we have to imagine what it would have been like, right? That These two men and going on this journey to places that they, I, I don't know if they've ever been there. But they were driven by the gospel. They were driven by the person of the Gospels, make that very clear, because Jesus had changed them, he captured them. I I was reading up, and I always love illustrations, just to kind of get me thinking, but uh, when Hudson Taylor, famous missionary of our past, was director of the China Inland Mission, he often interviewed candidates for the mission field. On one occasion, he met with a group of applicants to determine their motivations for service. And why do you wish to go as a foreign missionary, he asked one. I want to go because Christ has commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, was the reply. Another said, I want to go because millions are perishing without Christ. Others gave different answers. Then Hudson Taylor said to them, all of these motives, however good, will fail you in times of testings, trials, tribulations, and possible death. There is but one motive that will sustain you in trial and testing. The love of Christ. It's not the mission per se. It's the love for Christ that drives you to want to obey the command to to carry the gospel everywhere. But these men were changed by him. They were living for him. They're willing to risk it all because of Jesus Christ. And again, we, we looked at uh, the gospel's impact in, the, in this next city, Iconium. Uh, and I'm just going to read this passage, make a few brief comments, and then move to the next just to keep us see with the flow of, of their journey. So it says, now at Iconium, we're in Acts chapter 14, verse 1. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. So we talked about that already, but just in brief, we just see how Paul and Barnabas They were so captured by their love for Christ. I mean, Paul writes in another place in 2 Corinthians 5, he says he was compelled by by Christ's love. And and here we see these two these two men just enduring, yeah, there was reception, but there was also great persecution. There is the whole city was divided because of them and their message, and they, they actually had to flee because they were gonna get stoned. But some were hungry for the gospel some wanted wanted to hear and to believe and there's the poisonous obstinate unbelief of some and even in this passage uh, or in this passage previously we talked about it though last week was that we see uh, in both in both sides the the human responsibility side and the divine side because the people were coming they would hear these words of grace but why is it that some would be so excited to hear and when they're in Antioch Pisidia they pursued them afterwards please tell us more and yet some were so hating that they not only that not only pushed them out of Antioch they pursued them to Iconium and they'll do more later it's because we've got this we've got just the 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 picture that god has to step in to open eyes And we talked about that last week, but we just see it all through here. Just why was there such a mixed response? The gospel was never uh, just there. There was always a huge reaction against it or a huge reaction running in pursuit for it. The gospel divides people, but we need God to step in and we see what he does because of it. But again, they were chased out of Iconium. So they take another 20-mile walk. So they go down to Ventura from here. So they go and they began preaching in that whole region. But then we, we have them stopping. We have an incident that happens in the city of Lystra. Now, before we read you that portion, there's two things we need to remember. We briefly talked about it last week. First of all, this whole region, uh, Latin nor Greek was the normal language. Okay, They had a local dialect that, uh, that will come into play in this story. Okay, that was the primary language of this city was Lyconian. Okay, there's also another thing, a local legend about this city. According to a local legend, these same gods, Zeus and Hermes, we'll see that in the story. Barnabas gets called Zeus, Paul gets called Hermes, and we'll see why. There's a local legend that these same gods, Zeus and Hermes, once descended to this region disguised as humans seeking lodging. Though they asked at a thousand homes, none took them in. Finally, at a humble cottage of straw and reeds, an elderly couple, Philemon and, and Baucus, freely welcomed them with a banquet. In appreciation, the gods transformed the cottage into a temple and appointed Philemon and Baucus priest and priestess. They then sent a flood to destroy the homes of the inhospitable people who had turned them away. That's the local legend. The temple, we talked about it last week, where was this temple? It was at the front of the city. And we'll see there's actually archaeological evidence that they found from this city where it talks about the, the temple being at the front of the city. It was this, and we see it here. We see evidence of this. So now we are in verse 8, we're in, we're in them, uh, we're encountering Paul and Barnabas as they're going into Lystra. Verse 8, now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. To be more clear, he was crippled from birth, and even more clear, had never walked. So we know his status. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And the man rolled over. It doesn't say that, does it? And the man sprang up and began walking. This is power. This is the, that miraculous power, the, the power of the Spirit authenticating the message that these men are bringing. It's making people to stop and watch. Just like Peter in chapter 3. Hey, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. What? Stand up and walk. And he got up right away, just like Jesus did. The same power working here, the same spirit moving through these men to, to impact that area, to say this message is radically different than everything else. Again, we have to remember the culture, the, the worldview is that there is many God's. There's all these rival gods and that, that to, to hear of another potential God, it's like, oh, okay, we'll hear about it. But Jesus is no other, just not, he's unlike any other, is he? And so when their message would come, we would see constantly in scripture, these miracles that say, no, you need to listen here. There's no legend. We're talking about this Jesus. Matter of fact, we're going to show you miracles right now in front of you. And these miracles were not, oh, my aching back. This man he had been crippled from when? From birth. He was a known man. He he couldn't walk. And this it was unmistakable. So when we see in the book of Acts we see these miracles we can never forget that these were authenticating a message in a world that had multiple gods. They were open to new gods. The message, the miracles were saying, no, this is the one true God. This Jesus, you better pay attention. And here's his men that are doing these amazing miracles preaching with authority, proclaiming his name. So he, he looks at this man, and, and he sees that he has faith to, to be healed. Now, I wasn't dependent on the man, all right, just so we understand that. He was listening, within, he was listening to Paul, and, and he heard about this man, this Jesus, and Paul heals him. He becomes an illustration of what God does in our own hearts, to, to bring, uh, the, bring new life, to recreate. That's what God does. He, gives, he makes us new. So when the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. So they're saying it in Lyconian. And, and, and they're making these incredible claims about Paul and Barnabas. So that's what, what did they do? Barnabas, they called Zeus... Evidently, Barnabas was a bigger, more statue, you know, just a big dude. And he looked very, you know, like he was, had a lot of bearing. And Paul was, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. He was the messenger for Zeus. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. So here's where the local legend comes in. They're like, oh, they're back. We better not miss it this time because what happened last time, according to the legend? Yeah, everyone else got flooded out and destroyed. So they're responding. And again, Paul and Barnabas are watching all this happen. You you wonder why they don't react right away because they didn't understand what they were saying. Just, Just interesting to watch this happen. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they saw the sacrifices coming. They're, What's going on here? They tore their garments. The sign of it, intense passion. And they rushed out into the crowds crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also, we also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news. The gospel. The euangelion. That you should turn from these vain, empty, useless things to What? A living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. He goes right to creation. Remember, they didn't go to the synagogue here. They're talking to the crowds. So what do they do to appeal and start evangelizing? They go to creation. The God who created is the right one. Not these vain, empty ones you're talking about. The God we're talking about, the creator God, bigger than all this. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. And you can talk about the providence of God as, as, as evidence about the, the goodness of God and that there is a God who cares and he's a God that you should look to. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So God has left a witness in in creation, in supplying people with the food that they need to live, the air that we breathe. Remember, there's several things that God has left and uses to give man a testimony that there is one true God. What are the two things? He He talks about here through creation, the providence of God, but then also man's conscience. They know instinctively that they've done something wrong. Now, they don't have the Ten Commandments written on their hearts, but they know when they've done something wrong. Their conscience does what? Convicts them. Creation, declaring the glories of God, that there's one true God, that He's a powerful God, does not save them, it condemns them. Don't forget that. Romans 1 18 through 21. All men are what? Without excuse. There's, a, there's a, a, a constant message from creation and that constant inner, I know I've done something wrong, telling us we're guilty. We talked about that last time. Uh, psychologists have said studies in the past that if you got rid of guilt, you could empty out most of these psych wards. Man and his religions is always trying to figure out how can I appease God or whatever gods there are. I know I've done something wrong and it's driving me crazy many just sear their conscience right just doing bad more and more so they don't feel it anymore but others try to escape the pain and just and they can't find any answer and that's why god had to make himself known because man is condemned without christ god solved the problem and that's what he's starting to talk about here the the words of grace that they talked about in iconium they're bringing words of grace But don't sacrifice to us. We're not God. We're telling you about the great God, the good God. Verse 18, even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. So evidently this legend was so strong, so embedded. They were under such deceit. Man, they needed the truth of the gospel, the good news. But isn't it interesting the way that Satan got Paul and Barnabas to leave the last two cities was persecution but here it's an appeal to their pride think about the temptation they could have felt remember their am not saying they would do this but remember there's a there's that temptation that's kind of hey, they kind of like us hey this isn't so bad Hey, I, I, I don't know if I, I might, maybe I'd like to stay here for a while and be chased out of town again. This is kind of good. But that's another temptation to maybe, maybe water down the message a little bit. Uh, yeah, 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 Zeus and Hermes. Uh, yeah, that sounds great. Sure. Let me tell you about this Jesus. Okay. Uh, but they didn't do that. But notice that this, it seems to be a different type of temptation here. Applying, uh, promising prestige the applause of man, the pride uh, being appealed to. But they don't, they don't respond that way, right? They said once they understood, they tore their robes, sign of intense grief, intense emotion. We are not gods. And they turned to creation See, there's a powerful, mighty God who created all this and he is good, but, the, but Jews, now back to verse 19, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds. The crowds were very persuaded a moment ago, but watch them swing. And they persuaded the crowds. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. What a wild swing. But this reminds me immediately of the Passion Week. The beginning of the week, he's hailed as Hosanna, the son of David, on the triumphal entry. A week later, he's hanging on a cross outside the city, humiliated, tortured, dying. The crowds are fickle. That's why we should never seek the applause of men, but the applause of God. They dragged him out of the city. They dumped him. It's like dumping a body, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him... He rose up and ran to the next city. doesn't say that. He rose up and he entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. I I can't wait to meet Paul. This is one tough cookie. Was he gripped by the love of God in Christ Jesus? This man, bless you. This man... He rose up. Now, maybe he was dead. that They're supposing he was dead. It doesn't say distinct, but he rose up and he went right back into the city. What do you think that said to the city who just stoned him and dragged him out? That's another miracle. (laughs) So we have this man who was crippled from birth, couldn't walk, raised up. He He sprang up, no atrophy, instant, perfect wholeness, and he can run about. And then, and then the other end, we have them stoning Paul in hatred, in vi- with violence. And he's dragged out of the city, dumped like refuse, raised, and he walks right back in. What do you think the city's thinking? We better pay attention. We better pay attention. Not sure all that happened there afterwards, but we know a, a church started. But the persecution continues. The gospel, the real gospel preached by real followers of Jesus Christ, will not stay unnoticed. There will be a reaction. There will be a response for the gospel. Praise the Lord. That's why we proclaim. We don't know who's going to become saved. We're going to proclaim and proclaim and proclaim because that's what God calls us to do. That's how he's chosen to use us to be his megaphone. Why? That's what he's decided to do. He doesn't need us, but that's what he's decided. And he uses men and women to just be faithful witnesses. And but it, it does leave awake because there's going to be some persecution, and we can expect it. And that's why this history is here too to remind us that faithfulness and righteousness do not mean liked being liked by everybody. So when persecution comes, we're like, oh, well, that's what happened to Paul and Barnabas and what well, happened to Jesus, and he told us that, well, the world hated him and it would hate us too. Okay, it's, there's a sense of assurance. But it also, these words to us should be preparing us. We don't, you have, don't have to live too long to see things are changing here. We don't know what God's going to do, but we need, we need to be prepared. And these are passages these, where we see uh, our, our ancestors in the faith and what they endured we need to see and learn from them again just like Hudson Taylor said don't you don't go because you're commanded you go because you you love the person who's commanding you and you then you go because you want to obey him because you want to show your gratitude and you want others to know that same master because he's good but again, we see the gospel's impact continuing to change people, our, our, our ambition, our goals for our lives. It's not to, hey, what can I get out of this life? It's what can, I, what can I give to Christ so that others can know him? It's not to live for myself, for my kingdom, for my fame, my prestige. Rather, it's to live for Christ and his glory. But we've got to love him. If you don't love Christ, it's not going to last, is it? Right? There's only so much you can take and you say, I'm out. But not Paul and Barnabas, not these early Christians. That's why they're here to remind us what the love of Christ can do in us. But it doesn't end here in our story. So they leave and they go to Derby. And when they had preached, in verse 21, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, many disciples, I'm going to stop there in that verse. They're, they're continuing in, in, in this. By the way, in that region, this is the city, the furthest city you could go to on that frontier, on that plateau. And so now they're, they're going all the way to the edge. And they're following the same pattern because they went, they went and they just proclaimed the gospel and they let the results uh, happen as they would. <laughs> he, he's He's stoned. He goes back into the city at Lystra, and then they go to Derby, again, about 20 miles away. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, they had made many disciples. They just can't be stopped. I mean, we think, you know, I've, I've worked pretty hard, and yeah, I just almost died, so I'm going to take a break. They, they don't stop. Their driving ambition was so that others may know this Jesus Christ. They evangelize by proclaiming the gospel in a new city. Just keep, keep sowing the seeds. I mean, Paul, after he left Athens, we'll see this later, he was tired. He was tired. When he got to Corinth, he talked about just being worn out. You know what Jesus, what, he got a vision from God. You know what God told him? Get up and start preaching because I, here's what he said, for I have many elect in this city. Why would he say that? Well, There's people who hadn't been saved yet who are supposed to be saved because they were the elect. So God's going to make sure they get saved. But Paul was going to be the person to bring the gospel so they could get saved. And that's what we do. We talk to people. We meet them. We get to know them. We show them the love of God. And some will want to keep talking. So what do you do? Keep talking. And some will reject you. So what do you do? Maybe move on. Maybe you keep talking. Paul, at one point, Jesus says, don't cast your probe before swine. So what is that? Well, that's someone who's a mocker. Well, maybe you stop then. But do you lose touch with that person? No, I've had friends who would mock me. Some of my soccer friends that we played. But you know, when there's a tough time, you know who they called? Not Pastor Chris, their old teammate, Chris, who knew that I would at least listen. And they weren't mocking anymore. Not because I'm great. Please hear that. It's because they wanted, they had no hope. But they knew I had hope. Why? Because I told them about it, and they could see we were a little bit, well, I was really different, but we were a little bit different, right? So just, we got to be about this. We have to be people, and even if we're not going to travel to a foreign nation and go on this huge missionary journey, walking 1,500 miles over maybe a period of a year like they did, we can be that here. We have a lifetime to make an impact for, the God, for God, for whoever he brings into our, our, our sphere of influence, I've heard it say that way. Whoever, whoever your neighbors are, your co-workers, the people God wants you to be around, just be about the gospel. Be about this Jesus Christ. And we're not sure how long they were there, by the way. It just doesn't say. We're just, getting, we're just seeing the patterns. They're just proclaiming God was causing this increase. Missions. We use that in the title. The missionary journey. Again, that word actually is not in scripture. Missions. That word missionary. You know what, the, what that word is, should be? A Christian who walks around talking about Jesus. Or ends up in a different geographical location. They're just proclaimers. And if they stay in that region, you know what they become? A church planter. All, all a missionary really is is a church planter in another land, right? Now, I was raised by missionaries. My grandparents were with Wycliffe Bible Translators. So I, we had, we'd go back and forth. I'd say, look, I'm, just, I'm a pastor here. This is my mission field. Like, no, you're in America. I'm like, no, I'm on the ends of the earth compared to Israel. <laughs> Some people need to keep going uh, to a different land, but I'm, God has me living here. So that's where I'm going to proclaim, I'm going to be salt and light right where he wants me to be. I'm going to follow Paul and Barnabas's example of proclaiming the gospel. That's what we're called to do. They, but they were, and we are to be about the same thing, fulfilling the great commission. Matthew 28: 18 through20. We all started 19, don't we? Going, therefore, make disciples, make disciples, is the command. Going? Baptizing and teaching are the three components to the command. Going, meaning as you live and if you're going sometimes other places. Baptizing, is so you give them the gospel and when they become a Christian, you welcome them to the family. And then teaching them what? All that I have commanded you. That takes time. What did, what did he command? This is what he commanded. This takes time to learn. Not just to learn, but to apply and live it. So that's a lifetime endeavor. So this is, we're fulfilling, these men are fulfilling, but we too are to fulfill the great commission. But I start in verse 18 because there Jesus says, all authority, the risen savior, he's just risen from the dead. He's meeting with his men. This is just before the ascension. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. So the great commission starts with the king saying, here's what you, my followers, go and do. Right? So we see this playing out at the, at the beginnings of the ends of the earth. All are commanded to do it. All of us. Every single one of us. Right? Not just pastors, but everybody. Everybody. You're at Chick-fil-A. I'd least I support you. I'd pick on you all the time. You're commanded to be salt and light there. right? Ron, you're working on the fields all the time out here. You stud, but you come in contact with a lot of people. You're going to be salt and light here. We have families that aren't, family members who aren't saved, right? I have a lot of family members. I'm one of the few Christians. We've got to be salt and light to them. Every single one of us can be salt and light. We can be fulfilling the Great Commission, especially in our families. The hardest mission field are our families. They know us best. All of our baggage, right? But we see Paul and Barnabas. Let me get through this here. I'm going to get sidetracked. But we see them, they're at Derby and they just keep doing what they've been doing. They're doing what he's commanded wherever they go. And we see the gospel's impact. They're trusting God to grow his church by the simple yet clear and powerful command to make disciples. Different churches try to come up with all these snazzy ways of, hey, what's our mission purpose? Make disciples. Well, how do you make disciples? Proclaim the gospel, whoever becomes Christians, welcome to the family, and then... Equip them. Why? So they can make disciples. That's the mission statement. They're playing it out for us, but we have to live with intention. It doesn't happen by accident. So back to back to what we're doing here. Verse twenty one again. After they'd made many disciples, they returned. They returned to Lystra. Wait, what happened there? That's where he was stoned lystra and to iconium well they had been they had been almost stoned in iconium and all their enemies still lived in these cities and to antioch the first of the cities the biggest of the cities where they had endured persecution but it says they returned to these cities strengthening the souls of the disciples Back in in the early couple centuries or the last, yeah, about 1800s, there was a big revival that happened in the United States. And there was a whole movement called revivalism. And they'd have revival tent meetings. And people, they'd have these big, you know, evangelists come in and they'd be declaring the gospel and people would walk forward and they're playing this music and they're working their emotions. And all these people come forward to accept the gospel and then the, the evangelists would move on. What was missing from that equation? What the church body that those members needed to be plugged into. But why? So they could grow. We talked about this last week. Again, there's certain parables that just jump to my mind. And certain one of this one right here, the parable of the four soils. The parable of the four soils. Three of the four soils were not saved seed or ground prepared to produce you know have a seed grown to salvation but only the last one was and what was that it was the one that produced a crop of 30 to 60 to 100 fold meaning it had a, a long life of producing crop just because someone says they're a Christian and maybe shows initial fruit does not mean they're a Christian we have a huge responsibility in the church to help new believers get planted and we want to help them grow that's our calling as the church to help the young ones, especially young ones in age. There, we got a couple that we got the two young gals here who are—they born into a family of two Christians. Well, they're saved, right? Everyone say no, they're not saved just because you're born into that family. It's like going to McDonald's—you're not, not a Big Mac. That's location. Birth does not mean you have to be what Jesus said in John three. You have to be. Born from above, born again. That's a work of the spirit. That's not work of mom and dad in genetics. But they have a big responsibility to be modeling Christ, teaching Christ, showing the love of Christ. But what is our responsibility to them? We have to be doing it for them and they, these kids need to see it from us too so that they can see Jesus is real, not just mom and dad's, right? And we love them. We're glad we get to walk with you guys. It's a pleasure. But that's what we do when we do have parent-child dedication. It's not just, oh, look at these cute kids. God's blessed them with children, and he has. But it's more than that. It's the church taking ownership to help this family be in a church where they can see the gospel played out in real life, where they see see older people who get really old and really old and eventually pass away. But you know how they pass away? With grace and dignity because they love Jesus. They get to see that. That's so important. But that's why they went back. They wanted churches for, this, for these people to get plugged into, these new believers to grow and to grow old in the faith so that the gospel could keep going out. Because where were Paul and Barnabas going to end up going back to? And we'll see it in a minute. Back to Antioch in Syria. That's a long way away. That's the headquarters for the Gentile mission. But you know what these little churches are now? New mini headquarters for that area to reach that whole area with the gospel. That's why they have to strengthen the churches so the gospel could continue to spread after they leave. If you look at some of the letters from Paul, he hadn't been to certain places. But believers from his area or from a, a church where one of the apostles had been, believers there had gone to these other cities. For instance, Rome. Which apostle started the church of Rome? The answer is not one of them. Paul and Peter both wanted to visit to help strengthen them. You'll read that in in the letter to the Romans. It was most likely started from the believers probably around the uh, day of Pentecost. Because after Pentecost, a lot of these Jews would return to their homes around the Hellenized world. Really cool. That's how the gospel works. When John wrote the book of Revelation and he sent it to the seven churches, he sent it first. What was the first church listed? Ephesus. It was was out on the coast. It was at a big harbor. But if you look at those churches, those churches were progressively further away from Ephesus on a mail route. How did those churches get started? Believers who were converted in Ephesus after staying there and being built up, they would go out. With what? With the gospel. Maybe returning to their own home. Hey, mom, dad, guess what I found out? I met the Savior, Jesus Christ. What? What? Yeah, he, 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 was, he was born in, in Israel. Israel? That little country down there? Yes. And then they start talking about the gospel. And it spreads. And that's what they're going back. Again, Paul and Barnabas going back to these churches, new believers, to strengthen them. To encourage them to continue in the faith. Being a Christian is not easy. Trials are coming. They had seen, these believers had seen firsthand what it was going to cost them. Paul was stoned to death, chased out of other cities, mocked, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Life is not going to be a bowl of cherries if you're a Christian. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, elder rule. What is an elder? A person who's maturing in the faith. They're not a superman. They just happen to be a little bit long ahead and they're showing it in their life. But he appointed godly elders for them in every church to do what? To shepherd the church, to teach, to feed, to guide, to protect. And they didn't leave a bishop for the whole area, did they? Throw that out there, right? It's elder led. There's, there's no pope here. There's no, el- there's no bishops. There's no hierarchy There's the apostles, and then we see elders in each of the churches. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They could do all the teaching they wanted, but they had to leave. But what did they do? They committed committed them to the Lord, because the Lord was the, he's the head of the church, not the apostles, right? He's, He's the head, he's the head. Committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, that's the original town where John Mark had left them, but they didn't stay and preach there. But now they did. So they're back down on the coast. They preached the word in Perga. Then they went down to Attilia. All right. So they're headed. They're headed back home now. So they went, returned again. They returned through all these cities again. There was no kind reception waiting for them. Sure, there are believers there, but don't forget that in each one of those cities, they endured persecution of varying degrees. (laughs) Let me just read you this, another great illustration. When it comes to missionary uh, missions, there's great illustrations. I love this one. A missionary in Africa was once asked if he really liked what he was doing. His response was shocking. Do I like this work, he said? No. My wife and I do not like dirt. We have reasonable, refined sensibilities. We do not like crawling into vile huts through goat refuse. But is a man to do nothing for Christ he does not like? God pity him if not. Liking or disliking has nothing to do with it. We have orders to go and we go. Love compels us. The love of Christ. They went back not because they were hoping for a great reception. They went back because love of Christ compelled them. We want to strengthen these believers. Because if we don't, if we don't set up the church, they won't have a place to grow and strengthen and mature. And they'll be dead meat. So they returned with purpose, strengthening, encouraging, appointing faithful men to lead and, and help these churches get solidified. It was a fearful thing to leave behind these precious believers, but you know what? Here's what they were convinced of God loved them more. When I counsel people and I talk to them about their children, it says, Don't you worry, God loves your children more than you do. And I know that about my own kids. As much as I love them, God loves them more, and he's better at it than I am. So their act of trust is they trusted God and entrusted them to, to just, and just stay so committed to him. But again, they took responsibility. We have to build up the church. We can't just, you know, do the easy, well, easy thing, but saying something because, and then walk away because building a church, you know, and, and equipping the saints, and all, that takes time, and it ain't easy, right? It gets a little messy. Y'all are sinners, and it's not easy working with you, nor is it with me. Please hear that. But they, they took responsibility and they also helped understand they're part of the larger church. They're tied to the body of Christ under the supervision. Again, we see this in Acts. They're under the supervision of the apostles. Christ said that you will be the ones who are the foundation. Christ is the chief cornerstone, but the apostles were the foundation of the church. They're the ones to be the ones to oversee the doctrine, the teaching, the formation, the building up of this new body, this new covenant community. But we see them building the church. They returned to the coast. It was a hundred miles journey down. And we just see this, the church growing and being established. New believers raised. New shepherds being raised. And new little mini headquarters for the gospel advance. Verse 26. And from there they sailed to Antioch. Where they had been commended to the grace of God. To Antioch? Yeah, the one back in Syria. So they're back home. And from there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Then not go back to Cyprus Right, they just went home after after their time in Galatia, but again, they're giving a church uh, a missionary report. Here's all, you sent us out, and here's what God did. Right, we 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 accomplished our mission. That's that's totally appropriate. That's where we get this whole idea of having a, a missions report where we have missionaries talking about what God had been doing as they've been working in that area. The sending church found out what they sent, what the sending had actually accomplished for the glory of God. And then they rejoiced as a church family. There's a celebration. Again, in America, I, I just cracks me up. I lived in Brazil. And some of my closest friends in high school and college were Latin Americans, Cubans, Costa Ricans, South Americans. In American, we we're pretty, pretty mellow in how we celebrate. Tell you what, I'll bet you there's a huge celebration. They're probably, you know, maybe not like Greek where they break plates and stuff, but I'll bet you they're celebrating the work of the God, how God had opened the door to the Gentiles. There's much celebrating. And they remained with the church. That was their headquarters. They stayed there to continue to feed and strengthen. Remember, when, when the Holy Spirit you know, was going to send out the, a, a new missions, this new missions endeavor, who did the church pick? To, well, the Holy Spirit picked, but who did the church send out, actually? Two of their young guys? No, they're two best. So the church gets them back, and now the church is rejoicing at what God had done, but now the church is being strengthened again. You know what what they're getting ready to do? Send them out again, because it's going to happen again. You know, churches talk about, oh, we've planted a church. Awesome. You've seen, you've you've planted another church, you know, 10 miles away. Fantastic. And what are you going to do next? Because it's the way it's supposed to be. We're not supposed to be building a kingdom here. You know, we're talking about a building project. Is that bad? No, it's to house more ministry. But what is the ministry supposed to do? To raise up more Christians so we can go out more. You know, you guys are here from, I'm pointing out uh, Justin and Matt, they're out from uh, Florida visiting from, uh, oh gosh, Jerry Rags Church. There we go. (laughs) It had to come to my mind here. But here's here's two young men who are very involved in, in the ministry there, and we've had others that have visited us in the past. And we heck, we have you know seminary graduates here from masters. We got Adam Silva who's a seminary, and we got Shane teaching over there. But God is raising up new believers, new men to do what? To plant more churches, or or as like keep Lance keeps telling me, as Lance and I get older, to replace us. That's what's supposed to happen. Right? That's how God is, God is really good at building his church. Jesus says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. By the way, gates, the gate's not an offensive weapon. The church is pounding at the doors of the gates of hell. That's the point of what he's saying there. The church can't be stopped. And we get to see this here. This is the beginnings of the church spreading. And it should cause great rejoicing. Bringing praise to God as we rejoice in the work he's doing. But then I'm going to keep driving it here. That's great. This is in southern Turkey 2,000 years ago. We've talked about it here. But folks, what does God want us to do to imitate what our brothers and sisters have done? Speak up for the gospel. Live for the gospel so they see there's something different. If we're just like everyone else, it's like, eh, I'll go to my yoga class. I'll feel better about myself. If, if we're just about feeling better, my goodness, it's not. We live for a purpose. We're going to die one day. We're all going to die, and we're going to stand before the Lord and answer. Man, let's, let's, let's get, get what they got, <laughs> this love for Jesus Christ that compels them, that we want others to know about. I'm going to stop there because I'm going to keep ranting and raving, but I get excited about this. We get to see what the church has done and we should not get so complacent that we settle for just trying to be a comfortable church that doesn't create any waves. We're going to have the 4th of July event here this Sunday. Isn't that nice? It is nice. But you know what we're doing too with that? We're handing out invitations to come to church with the gospel on the other side. And we're having people walk around just to say hi to them. Shane is leading that team and I encourage you maybe come up on the 4th of July. And sure, you can enjoy fireworks. That's fun. But you know we're going to have a lot of the community here who aren't Christians, who like this piece of land to watch the fireworks. Let's bring them the real fireworks. Mm-hmm. Right? The real light of the world. That'll make a difference for eternity. Amen? Mm-hmm. Amen. Hey, let's pray and then uh, we'll go out. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for your goodness, for your grace. Lord, thank you uh, for the evidence the evidence of your power and might to change lives, to, to bring the words of grace uh, to, to people living in darkness, the people in Leicester who were so under uh, this burden of deceit that they would that they would see this miracle and think that the legend was coming to life. And then when these men who were supposed gods told them to stop they, they almost didn't. They were just so deceived. But Lord, that's like all of us without the gospel, without you giving us eyes to see and ears to hear, a heart to respond. We need you to step in. We need your, your amazing grace, your irresistible grace. We need you, Lord. And, and Lord, I thank you uh, for for the mercy and, and, and grace you've given us in Jesus. But Lord, may we be people who uh, walk around with intention so that we can give these words of grace to others and we're going to have a whole whole group of them here in a few days lord i pray that there'd be some fruit from conversations that happen god i pray that you'd be opening eyes lord for vbs coming up in a few weeks for these all these children coming i'm thankful for our kids who are coming from this church they need to hear the gospel We need to be about giving them the gospel, but we also need to be giving it to those from the community. So Lord, bring us more from the community. Lord, may we be faithful proclaimers in what we say and in how we live. Lord, we love you. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. And may our lives continue to change and grow little by little as you take us from one degree of glory to the next, conforming us to the image of Christ. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.